0: Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. So good that you've joined with me today as we continue our examination of the Word of God. As I remind you from time to time, do uh, share with one another about these times together. Uh, People that are believers, people that are unbelievers, your friends, your family, your enemies. You know? Uh, all that kind of good stuff, and, and just tell them. You know, a lot of times you'll have to explain to folks how to access a podcast or what it is, what the purpose is. You know, uh, I do these and keep them short. They're always less than 10 minutes long to where if you're making a quick trip to the grocery store or something, you can listen to it on the way there and on the way back and just, you know, grab a moment uh, in the Word of God. And if we do that all day long in various ways, the Lord just speaks to us abundantly if we just listen. So now we're in 1 Timothy, okay? Okay. And we're at the end now of the first chapter of 1 Timothy. And in the last episode, we ended with a uh, a time of proclamation, (coughs) excuse me, a time of praise, uh, a mini doxology uh, that Paul had given in relationship to how the Lord had saved him and how the Lord has come. And it's a faithful statement of the Lord that he came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, I'm the foremost of all. I'm the foremost of all those sinners that he saved. And so in verse 17 of the first chapter, Paul said this, Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we learn some traits and characteristics about God right here in a very succinct way. He is the only God. He is the one most high God. He is Yeshua. Okay, His Jesus is Yeshua. He is Yahweh, the most high God. Now, it's interesting when you look at uh, Psalm 82 and some things like that because you find out that there is a, a, a council of divine beings. There are other quote-unquote gods, little g-o-d-s, okay? The word Elohim is used for all of them, but as in the case in all languages, we are very careful to make sure that the word derives this meaning from the context in which it is used. Uh, Yahweh is the most high God. That's the reason he's called the most high God. And so the the people of Second Temple Judaism, okay, when Jesus was alive, would have totally understood that that, Paul is declaring here that he is still the one and only God, even as we see in Deuteronomy 6. He's also eternal. Eternal. And we think of eternal, we think of eternal from now forward. But eternal also goes from now forward to now all the way back. You know, we want to extrapolate it as far as we can see and beyond, but it also goes as far as we can see back and beyond. He is without beginning, without end. He is immortal. Immortal, what does that mean? What well, it means you never die. Well, it has sort of the same idea, though, with eternal. Yes, it's immortal from the point of view that you never die, but he's also immortal from the point of view that he never, never existed. <laughs> can I use two negatives there? There was no time when the Most High God did not exist. He has been. And you go, I don't understand that. Well, you're on a good, solid ground right there. Okay, There are mysteries right here. Okay, There's mysteries. He's invisible. The Most High is invisible, though he reveals himself in a lot of different ways. And and we see that in the Scripture in the various ways he does things. So anyway, to the King, immortal, eternal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the last three verses of this chapter, Paul sort of shifts gears a little bit. He says this, this I command or this command, I entrust to you, Timothy. So he gives him uh, many commands, many instructions in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And he says, here, I've got a command I want to entrust to you. <clears throat> and notice it's not a mandate. Notice it's not this kind of thing he's thumping him over the head. He said, I'm going to entrust this with you. That's a different kind of mindset. He says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, my son. remember how he started off at the beginning of the book expressing that type of relationship he says to you Timothy my son in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you whoa what do we learn from that that there had been some prophecies made concerning him there have been some people that had prophesied things over him things that Paul knew about that he'd heard about that Timothy knew about and heard about We have little hints about what some of these things may be, and we'll see those as we go along, okay? But the main thing I want us to understand is that there were prophetic words that were spoken over him. A lot of times people say, well, that was done for just back then. That doesn't occur today. And they'll say something like, well, we have the whole Bible, so we don't need that anymore. You show me anywhere in the Bible where it says that. I'll show you you many places, uh, going to Ephesians 4 to start with, to where we have to have the fullness of everything that the Lord has given to us for us to function in the way that we're supposed to. And if we reject these kind of things, that we're going to be much weaker because of. So here we have an example just sort of in passing. Paul's saying, oh, yeah, you remember those prophecies <coughs> that were spoken over you concerning you. This command has been entrusted to you, and it's in accordance to that. Hmm. Well, let's just see what it said. That, that by them you fight the good fight. By them? By them? Let's go back and read this whole thing now without me saying anything. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. By them? It's by these prophecies. That by what was revealed to those prophecies, by what you understand in and through those prophetic words that were said to you, that you fight the good fight. So what is the command that he's entrusting to him? That you fight the good fight. Verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience. So he's giving him three things right here. He's telling him fight the good fight, keep the faith, and keep a good conscience. And do this in accordance with the prophecies that were spoken over you. I think that has some things to do with teaching, perhaps, but even more so that you know what's going to be coming your way. You know what's going to be happening because of what's been prophesied over you. But even in the midst of that, you keep fighting, you keep the faith, and you keep a good conscience. But Paul doesn't stop there. Here's the rest of the sentence. Which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. There has some people that have not kept the good fight. They haven't kept the faith. They haven't kept a good conscience. And they've rejected these things. And because of that, their faith was literally shipwrecked. Their faith was destroyed. Apparently, they had faith for a while. They had a faith to some degree. But now it's been shipwrecked because they haven't fought the good fight. They haven't kept the faith, and they haven't kept the good conscience. The last verse of the first chapter tells us something. Among these, those that have had their faith shipwrecked, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Woo. <coughs> so what had they been doing? They had been saying something. They had done something. And you can chase some things around in the New Testament and learn a little more, particularly about Alexander, but even Hymenaeus, when they're mentioned in other places. Uh, we're assuming it's the same Alexander, but you, you got to be real careful of that assumption because we're not told point blank. It's a very common name, right? So anyway, they had done something that had blasphemed. And apparently they refused to repent from that because Paul says, I handed them over to Satan. Handed them over to Satan. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you look at the uh, that phrase used throughout the New Testament, you see it over in the Corinthians when Paul's writing to them uh, about uh, the young man that was in sin. And he said, as for me, I've already given his body over to Satan, and you need to do certain things. And what that meant was, and the way they handled it was, they set them outside the body. They said, you're no longer allowed to be here in the body in this way. <coughs> excuse me sorry and that they literally sent them back into the world because they were acting worldly because they were acting of the world and that's what that handing over to Satan means. The whole point was, is that they'd be taught not to blaspheme. The point is restoration. And you see with the, with the gentleman in Corinth that apparently there was restoration with him. You see something mentioned, and we think it's about him in 2 Corinthians. So the whole point is restoration of the people. They would repent that they were turned back from their sin and come back into the body. Not that you're sitting there saying, well, I'm giving you over to Satan himself so you be done and spend eternity in the lake of fire. No, it was restoration, but we don't sit there and let people do things, blaspheme God, and not address the issue. So he was commanding uh, Timothy, he said, I'm entrusting this to you, that you fight this fight. You keep the faith and you keep the conscience, because he's already told him there's some teachers that are doing some things, and you're going to encounter this, and you need to stand strong in the faith. We are in like situation and circumstance, folks. We need to do likewise. Again, I'm Dale. I'll see you again next time. Goodbye.